0: Your hour of thrive time begins now with your host, Jay Mamey, on the Jay Mamey Talk Show.
1: Jay Mamey
2: Talk Show. Good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamey Talk Show. This is Jay Mamey. And I am your host here for your next hour of Thrive Time. Let me thank all of you that are visiting our show today for the very first time. You are in for a massive treat because the content we're covering today is going to be so Thrive Minded that you will walk away with actionable steps that are going to give you not only ways to improve your ability to thrive for the rest of the week, but beyond that as well. I'm going to announce our speakers in just a few minutes. But thank you for visiting our show for the very first time and for those those of you that are returning yet again. I want to know I want you to know that I appreciate your continuing support of our show because it continues to grow week after week with more listeners that are telling other listeners about the value they are finding here on the J Mamie Talk Show on Sunday mornings or when you catch it as a broadcast replay. But I want you to know that if you've not had a chance to check out some of our prior episodes, I want to encourage you to go to our website, the thejmameytalkshow.com, and there you're going to find all of our previous episodes, a beautiful library of content from some of our amazing guests, our amazing business spotlights, our amazing author spotlights that are all there available for you to listen to and grab wisdom from them because they've poured into the show for the last year and a half. Today's going to be no different. In fact, I'm excited about our authors today that are going to be a part of our show. We've got a double whammy as far as authors go. We've got two amazing authors that are going to be with us today who've released new books that I believe are thrive-minded books. They're very different, but each of them provides a way for you to thrive in areas that maybe you were not aware of that you can but should be thriving in. And One of them, it comes from our guest speaker, Michael Watkins, will be speaking with us today about his new book called, the 401k revival, the 401k revival, and let me share with you the information he's going to cover today will be very critical to help us understand how to thrive in that very important area of our financial life, and that is our 401ks. We're going to hear from Michael a little bit later on in the show, but our second author spotlight will also be speaking to us about something very, very different where thriving is involved if you begin to understand what makes you tick in the areas of your identity. It's a deep conversation we're going to have with Jay Hall about his new book called Biological Essentialism, and I love that topic. I've had a chance to speak with him, and he's going to bring it with very thought-provoking ways for you to consider how we are designed, and it's going to change the way you think, I believe. But I'm excited about my very first guest here, Chris Harris. Chris Harris is not only the founder of Motivational Speaker and a successful award-winning author. We're going to talk about his latest book, by the way. But also what makes him unique is that he's a sales and mindset trainer. Apart from that, he served as a the founder of his own firm for 25 years. He was a master combative instructor as he founded his own company, Warrior Makers. And he provided elite combative trainings for federal agencies, military and special forces, domestic and international, U.S. and U.S. allies. Did that for 25 years, and he has turned a corner to be able to take that experience poured into not only the sales world, he's one of the top sales producers, he's also a VP of sales training, but now he is also involved in helping others understand how to change the way you think, how to work on your mindset so that you too can face the challenges and win them. We're excited about having Chris Harris on the show today. So Chris, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Jay. I'm honored to be here.
2: Chris, I want to dive right into all the goodness that you've got to offer and to share. But before we do that, I think it's important to have our audience get up to speed with your story. So can you share a little bit about your story with us? Sure.
3: Uh, Been training in martial arts uh, ever since I was a 10-year-old boy. Had a great passion for it. Still do. Uh, Joined the military when I turned 18 Mm -hmm. after four years of service. I created my own system of close quarters combat called Roku Jitsu, and I created it with the hope of being able to teach it to military and special forces. I taught Roku Jitsu as a private contractor for 25 years uh, to law enforcement, military, special forces, federal agencies, um, and uh, had a beautiful career, Mm -hmm. loved every bit of it, and then got uh, to be a little too old to To do it full time anymore, just because of the the body's reaction time, mm-hmm. uh, very physical stuff, and then uh, my heal rate, you know, being able to heal in time to do, uh, you know, especially staggered contracts. So um, I had to basically retool in, in my late forties, and uh, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Never thought beyond being a, a combatives instructor, and I chose to get into sales.
2: Mm. So you started early on, if I remember. Uh, I think at 12 or 13, you were already a black belt? No,
3: no, no, no. I I, I, I did start at 10 years old. Okay. Okay. Um, but uh, the black belt came later. But, the, <laughs> but no, I started training at 10 years old. Okay. Uh, I, I, I grew up on the streets. Um, my, my mother got sent to prison mm. when I was 10. Uh, my sisters and I got separated uh, at that point in time by uh, Child Protective Services. Okay. Uh, we never lived under the same roof again. Mm. And so I spent the rest of well, a a lot of the years between there and and growing up, uh, either homeless or living with foster families or or in an orphanage.
2: Wow, that's a story. I didn't know that part of it, brother. I appreciate you sharing that with us. But as a combative master instructor, what did you observe uh, were the common characteristics and, and most importantly, traits of those who excelled better and faster than others?
3: Goals, Mm. 100%. Uh, if you train someone who has a very specific goal versus someone who has no goals, uh, what you're really talking about is the difference between motivation and no motivation. Mm-hmm. If you don't have motivation for, for, let's just say, for example, you've set no goals whatsoever for your your health or physical fitness, mm-hmm. and I come up to you and I say, "Hey, man, you you really shouldn't be eating that," you're going to look at me and say, "Why?" Mm. Well, because it's bad for you. So everything begins with goals. Mm-hmm. Goals is what fuels the motivation. To change, you give me two students who both have the same skill set, the same athleticism, the same DNA, right? That gifting, and one has goals toward combatives, and the other doesn't. They just are told to be there. That's the, that's the deal breaker all day long. That's the differentiator between uh, someone who's good and an all star.
2: Mm-hmm. I can listen. I I completely agree. If you don't have anything that you're aiming for. It's easy to get thrown off track. It's easy to have the winds blow you off course if you have nothing that you're aiming at. And goals is that anchor that allows you to stay focused. It's, it's,
3: it's exactly right, Jay. And I would go one step further to say if you don't have goals, you're not even on a track.
2: That's right. That's right, brother. So I'm curious. You, here you have 25 years of combative instructor training. I mean, you're dealing with... With the military, you're dealing with foreign agencies, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, my time is up here, right? You had the honesty to say, it's time for me to move on. But why the transition into something that you didn't have any prior experience in, sales of all things? Great question. Um,
3: I, I went through a very depressing season in my life during that transition, and the reason is I always knew my why. I always knew my purpose, mm-hmm. and uh, that was to protect the innocent and safeguard the helpless, and when you, when you strip someone down of their why or their purpose, when they've known it, like, I mean, absolute. I, I mean, it was in my core. It was in my DNA. This is why I get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then you remove that, and now you say, now start over. The journey between ending your purpose mm-hmm. and starting something new that puts steam in your stride, mm. that is a long, difficult, arduous journey. And I can tell you that... Uh, I had to choose something that would give me my why back Mm. and you know, because it's not what we do, it's why we do it. Right. And there were two reasons. There were several reasons I chose sales, but the the two biggest reasons were uh, one, I wanted my autonomy back, my freedom, my independence. Uh, As a private contractor for 25 years, I came and went as I pleased. I had a lot of independence. I worked hard, but I chose when I worked and I wanted that back, and I was always told that if you're really successful in sales, nobody's going to ask you where you're at or where you're going. That's right. Right When you're when you're producing enough revenue for yourself and 10 other employees, someone comes up to your boss and says, where's Chris? Your boss is going to say, none of your business. That's right. I wanted that autonomy back. <laughs> mm-hmm. And secondly, um, I had been used to, to earning at a high level, and I wanted to earn at that level again, and I was always told that – you know, there's really no caps over you. If you, as long as you're selling the right product, mm-hmm. right, in the right environment, that there's no there's no ceiling. Uh, just if you want to raise, go sell more. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get back to that, that place of financial independence I had.
2: That's an amazing story because, you know, you t- typically you find people oftentimes who don't succeed well at something that they weren't sort of prepped for. you were able to pivot. Now I want to talk about what you've learned then because obviously there were some lessons that you learned in those 25 years as a private contractor in your own company, Warrior Makers, right? There's things that you've learned that I'm sure helped you as you were pivoting to this new career. So what would you say were three lessons that you learned over those three years that, that you've taken with you still today? You know, um,
3: when I got into sales, I, I chose to sell something very technical and very expensive, mm-hmm. something that was a long sales cycle with a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. And the reason I chose something, and I mean, the, the equipment that I sold was up as high as $4 million for a piece of equipment. All right. And now there there was some that was, you know, 30, 40, 50,000, but the equipment went up to $4 million a pop. And I, t- I, I chose something that was very technical, high ticket, complex, a lot of moving parts, long sales cycle because I always was taught in the military that your value will be determined by the problems that you can solve. Mm. And if you want to increase your value in an organization, learn to solve bigger problems.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I thought, man, if I can learn to solve this problem, I'll never have to retool or start over again. There will always be a place for someone in this industry who figures it out. And I put my head down. I did the work and I, What I learned very quickly, Jay, was this. The same mindsets that made me successful teaching combatives, and that I taught, Mm -hmm. 70% of what I taught in elite combatives was physical. 30% was mindset. And the reason is, any instructor, any close quarters combat, hand-to-hand combat instructor who's worth their salt, they know that you never give someone a skill set or ability that transcends their mindset mindset. Their maturity or the responsibility, right? We we have a responsibility to make sure we're equipping people that can handle the skill set. And so what I learned was the mindsets that I was exercising in that career and teaching in that career translated beautifully into sales, mm. and it gave me uh, an upper hand. And within within the first few years, um, you know, I I basically was elevated to the sales elite
2: because of those mindsets that translated so beautifully. You know, one of the things I want to piggyback on what you said is very, very, it's a mic drop. You said that oftentimes if the mindset isn't there, then all the skill training doesn't really matter. So let's talk about more from a leadership standpoint, because you were in that position for many, many years and you trained other leaders as well. And we're going to pick up on this on the other side of the commercial as well. But I see the flaw that a lot of leaders make. They expect more from their people than their people are ready to give or or understand or comprehend. And there's always uh, that's always going to be a downfall not only to the company the leadership but the individual that they're pushing to do more than they're really are prep to do. do you see that happen often as you travel and work with other leaders and other companies and organizations?
3: Absolutely I, I look at leadership uh, leaders who have a vision um, I equate that to people who think they have empathy. Um, if I have a, all the empathy in the world for you right now for something that you're going through as my friend if I can't communicate back to you, the level in which I understand what you see, what you hear, what you're feeling, a mile in your shoes, if I cannot communicate that back to you, I don't have empathy. Mm. And vision in the heart of a leader is the same way. I don't care how much vision you have. How well
2: can you communicate it to the troops? Wonderful. That's all, That's a mic drop right there. doesn't matter what your vision is, is how well you can communicate that to your troops. Before we go to break, I'm going to ask you to give me one lesson of human dynamics, that you picked up from that you observed that only is helping you, but it's what you talk and teach about. Give us one and we'll pick up after the break. What we call mindset
3: in the military. In sales, they call it mindset too, but mm. it's not. It's mm. really just an attitude. Mm. Sale the sales B2B sales organization is calling something that it's not they're they're saying this is a mindset and it's really just an attitude and the difference between attitude and mindset is the difference between success and failure
2: I want to pick up on that after the break the difference between attitude and mindset is the difference between success and failure we're going to do that right after the break Hey, everyone, this is Jay Mamie from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I just want you to know that my book, my 10th book, is finally available. Thrivology, action-stoking and thought-provoking quotes and phrases is now available for your purchasing pleasure. This book has already making tidal waves among those who appreciate content that is driven to give you a thrive-minded mentality and also reminders throughout the course of the week of the things you need to do to thrive. Guys, you can pick up my book, Thrivology, at thejaymamie.com. Have you ever hired the wrong person? Did the resume give you the
5: impression they would be a good fit because of their past accomplishments? I'm Cody Robison, founder of Robison
3: Interview Consultants. We help employers reduce turnover, thus saving time and money through the screening and interview process. Utilizing proper question formulation and response interpretation, we identify candidates whose character and behaviors align with your vision, values, and culture. Check us out at interviewexperts.com for a complimentary review of your hiring practices.
4: That's interview com.
0: Wonderful product. I've lost 111 pounds using that product. 111 pounds. You could not believe the difference. I went from a size 48 pant to a 33 pant. And I've maintained that now for over almost a year now. Yeah, absolutely. Andro 400 has helped me lose 111 pounds and I've maintained my weight for almost a year now.
5: Thanks, James, for that inspiring testimony and 111 good reasons to choose Andro 400. The most effective and natural way to lose belly fat, increase libido, gain energy, strength and muscle while safely boosting your testosterone levels. So, guys, how many reasons do you need for trying Andro 400? Well, here are two more great reasons. Order now and get free shipping plus an additional $6 off when you use the code SAVE6. That's SAVE6. Call 888-400-0435. 888-400-0435 or go to andro400.com. andro400.com.
2: Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a fantastic conversation with Chris Harris. When we left off, Chris, we started to touch the conversation topic about the, uh, the difference between attitude and perspective. And I know that you speak often about that. In fact, you spoke about that at our recent sales conference, and you were a big hit. Everyone loved the way that you positioned those two concepts. But can you share the same insight with our, with our listeners?
3: Yeah, if, if I were to randomly select uh, three adults... And just say, I want you to tell me the difference between attitude and perspective or attitude and mindset. And just go ahead and articulate, you know, write it down. No wrong answer. I'm gonna get three different answers. Mm-hmm. And attitude is learned. Most of the attitudes we walk around with as adults, we learned usually, usually through our childhood. Um, but they're learned behaviors well it, it's behavior it's it's the way we feel it's the way we think it's all three right it's mm-hmm. actions it's thoughts and its feelings um, and we learn them from either experiencing them directly or by observing someone else experiencing them and they're very powerful and they are very important but they're not everything mm-hmm. there's other elements that have to be present for lasting change. And so, perspective is the coach that we call in to help us change an attitude that we have identified or flagged as being uh, destructive or detrimental. So, I, I look at attitudes and every attitude in, is one of two categories it's either a destructive attitude or it's a productive attitude. Now, this is where goals come in, they are so vital to our success and, or transformation. The goal is what Basically fuels the motivation for change. If someone is just really doing nothing with their life, and someone came to me and said, "Chris, I, I've got a, a daughter, I've got a, a sister, and whatever," and I'm just worried about them, and they're just there's like no hope. The first thing I would say is, "What's their goals?" Because the goals are what get us out of bed in the morning. So all of a sudden, we set these goals, and this is the beautiful thing about goals. They make us highly self-aware to any attitude that does not align with those goals. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like they flag them. All right? So a destructive attitude is defined as any attitude that does not align with my goals, that is not founded in truth, or that is detrimental to my progression, my success. If it's, if it's stalling me, that's a destructive attitude. A productive attitude is any attitude that aligns with my goals and helps me achieve them. So once we flag, we set this goal... And now we're highly aware of any destructive attitude that pops up. And now all of a sudden we call in perspective as the coach perspective can be changed in the blink of an eye. And we say, all right, let me, I'll just give you an example. Mm -hmm. When I got into sales, cold calling, I made the decision that I wanted to be one of the top sales people in the world, selling the technology that I sold. I made that decision. That's a goal. So now any destructive attitude that does not align with that goal is going to be flagged immediately. So how do I change it? Well, I I hated the rejection. Mm-hmm. I hated the rejection of cold calling. All right? So therefore, I would find excuses not to do it. But I, I said this to myself, Chris, is there any way that you can become one of the top sales producers in the world in this highly competitive industry without a robust pipeline?
4: Mm.
3: There's not. Mm-hmm. And is there any way you can build a robust pipeline without picking up that phone consistently? I cannot. So it was flagged. That thought of rejection, that fear of rejection, was flagged as a destructive attitude. Now, how do I change it? Perspective. He's the coach blowing the whistle. So I choose a perspective. This is the power of perspective. We can choose it, and it comes, comes upon us in the blink of an eye. And I chose the perspective of this. Chris, everything you want to achieve in sales is on the other side of that phone call. And so every time that attitude would show up, I would call out that perspective, Chris, everything you want to achieve in sales is on the other side of that phone call. And what happens is that perspective trains, it retrains, it transforms, it reconditions that destructive attitude into a new positive, productive attitude. And here's the beauty.
2: What happens is that coach, that perspective becomes the new attitude. Let mm. me ask a question because I, 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 there's so much meat and potatoes in what you said. But I have to ask, so what what if the person says, okay, Chris, I got it, right? I, my per, uh, my perspective becomes my new coach. I get it. But what if they're struggling with creating a healthy perspective? What if that's the area that they're challenged in? Would you say to that person then should, proceed, should uh, pursue coaching or help? Because if your attitude is toxic and your perspective is just not up to par, you're going to be in trouble. Right? So what do you say to the person that says, I need help just clarifying my perspectives. I, I need help getting myself in a, pace, a place of, of strength so that my perspectives can be my coach. Great question. Uh, perspective is, is it's a superpower. You get to choose it. Mm. It
3: doesn't even have to be founded in truth. Your subconscious mind doesn't know. It needs to be in alignment with where you want to go. And even if you have to face it until you make it, I don't say fake it until you, I say face it until you make it. Mm. Even though you may not believe that perspective yet, like, hey, Chris, all the success in the world lies on the other side of that phone. Even if I don't believe it, it's still rooted in where I'm trying to go. And I'm telling you, if you, you, you can talk yourself into just about anything. That's right. And you don't have to believe the perspective in the beginning.
2: You just have to know that it's one that I can grow into. That's awesome. That's a mic drop. You know, there. Th- this is what, what makes me so happy about these shows. It brings me most joy, Chris, because this content, this wisdom is going to change somebody's life. Whoever's listening to this show right now, even if it's just one person that walks away not recognizing that it's the answers that have been right before them the whole time, um, it makes the show worthwhile to change somebody's life by changing their perspective. That's an, that's an amazing uh, bit of information and great wisdom. But you talk a lot about also— And I love this fear. And if there's anyone who knows about fear, that certainly would be you. How does fear and intuition now, how does that play a role in somebody's performance?
3: Well, let's
2: break fear. Fear can be a gift or it can be
3: a jailer. Okay. and so let's break fear up into two categories, rational or irrational. Rational fear is your coach. Rational fear is your counselor. Rational fear is that that best friend tapping you on the shoulder saying, are you sure we need to go down this alley? Mm. All right, Irrational fear may not be founded in truth at all. You're basically, you're out there mentally, metaphorically speaking, you're collecting material to build a bridge you're probably never going to cross. That's irrational fear. There's no value in it. So the first thing you have to do is you have to be able to flag very quickly, is this fear the counselor? rational fear or is this fear the jailer irrational fear Mm. now intuition's much much different intuition is that subconscious that gut that instinct that's it's bypassing you it's bypassing your 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 baggage your experiences and it's going right to the heart of the matter and it's whispering very softly in your ear don't that's intuition i never ignore intuition it mm-hmm. overrides fear, mm-hmm. and uh, it knows things that I'll never know.
2: Give me an example of when you paid more attention to intuition than, than fear, and is there a, a sense or a feeling that, that surfaces, that becomes the overpowering, overarching uh, feeling that you pay more attention to, to differentiate between this being intuition or this being just uh, a, a decision that I'm making out of fear?
3: What's the benefit? That's the that's that's the question I ask. Look, this is one of the awesome. things, Jay, this is one of the things that makes life so hard. Mm-hmm. All right, we define in the military, we define courage as doing it afraid. Wow. But, but you know what? That's awesome. We also define stupidity as doing it afraid. <laughs> All right? When I was eight years old and my buddies and I were building ramps to jump with our bikes, fear said, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it afraid, and I can tell you how those stories ended, right? So courage says do it afraid. Stupidity says don't do it afraid. Well, what's the difference? The difference is we have to say what's the outcome? What's the outcome? I, well, the outcome is risk-reward ratio. If I If I listen to this fear or listen to this courage or listen to this stupidity, what is the outcome? Well, it doesn't take – it doesn't take a lot of thought to go, well, if I go ahead and come down this hill and jump this homemade ramp, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to bust myself up. And for what? Some claps from some neighborhood buddies for the praise of man. So you, you can pretty much dissect that very quickly versus, hey, there's someone in this parking lot who has lost their cool and now they've wielded a firearm and somebody's going to have to run toward that. Mm-hmm. And what happens if I don't? If not me, then who? If not now, then when? Right. What's yep. the outcome? So I have to do it. It's who I am. If I don't do it, I, I violate my own fiber. And so
2: I think the question that we have to ask is the outcome. That's a, great, that's a great differentiator between intuition and fear, beautifully and well said. I want to talk a little bit about your book. You've got a new book. You've sent me the cover. It's a hot cover. I love it. Your book, Attitude Isn't Enough. Uh, I believe it's available right? Uh, it'll be available in December. Okay. So it's, in, it's in sort of in pre-release mode. Yep. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. What inspired you to write this book? Because you've written a number of other books. Yeah, this will be my seventh. Yeah. And some courses and a bunch of, so you've got a lot of content out there for people to reach out to you and to learn more about you. But what inspired you to write the book? That's my first question. Here's the backup one. What is the takeaway that you want the readers to experience from that book? Attitude isn't enough. How many
3: times, Jay, have you heard People tell you attitude is everything.
2: Many, many times.
3: You know, check up from the neck up. And 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 look, and I believe these are very important things that we've been taught about attitude. Um, But here's the problem. The problem is we have a society that's used, that's very good at setting goals. And that's very bad at accomplishing those goals. Yes. So what is success? In its simplest definition, success is the attainment of a goal. So without a goal, you can't have success. If you never desired to be wealthy, that was never a goal, and one day you wake up and you inherit some money and you're wealthy, well, that's not success Mm -hmm. because success and goals are codependent upon one another. So what is attitude? Attitude is me saying, all right, Chris, I'm going to conquer this thing with cold calling. I'm going to conquer it because I want to be one of the top in the world at what I do, and I can't do it unless I get through these calls. All right, so that's one attitude. That's not enough to to get me to where I want to be that's not enough to get me on that podium in January in a highly competitive industry with tens of thousands of people selling what I sell mm-hmm. that's one attitude mindset is requires the full set of attitudes all right that's me saying well I also hate doing paperwork mm-hmm. I also hate sitting down and dealing with a, an hour hour and a half to put together a formal price quote I also hate you know airplane rides to go for customer visits i hate dealing with disgruntled customers that i've sold to because whatever i sold them isn't working right if i want to be number one in the world i have to deal with the full set of attitudes when you deal with the full set of attitudes that affect the goal you now have mindset, and that is completely different than attitude yeah um, and and i'll say this saying hey man i'm an expert at ground fighting well that's an attitude mm-hmm the United States Marine Corps Martial Arts Program, they wear a T-shirt, black T-shirt, and on the back of it, it says, one mind, any weapon. Mm. That's a mindset, mm-hmm. right? That means bring a stick, a rock, a gun, a knife, bare hands. I don't care. You cannot beat me. My mind is where it needs to be. So what happens, you look, you're a very fit guy. You understand that someone who says, all right, I'm going to change my diet because they want new goals they want a new outcome they want to have more energy they want to look better and they say i'm going to change my diet but by the way uh, i'm not going to the gym to do resistance training and i'm not doing cardio i hate cardio what are their chances of success slim very slim you have to say i hate cardio but i'm fixing that attitude i hate salad i hate vegetables but i'm fixing that attitude and guess what i'm going to do resistance training three days a week Mm. the whole set of attitudes have now been addressed. You're, you're, you're looking at all of them with a high level of self-awareness and converting all of them. You have a new perspective. The coach is running in and flagging every one of them, throwing that yellow flag every time. And eventually what happens is you have new attitudes about the three pillars of fitness, which is resistance and cardio and nutrition. And now you're walking around with a six-pack two years later. Not six weeks later. Two years later. Mm-hmm. And that's a mindset. Attitude in itself is not enough. Attitude is saying, I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to walk two miles a night. Okay, that's great. Give me the full set of attitudes. Now you've got mindset. One mind, any weapon.
2: That's powerful, brother. That is powerful. You know, one of the areas, what I what I would also add to that is – there's people that they think they have the right attitude. I call them delusional <laughs> because they think uh, that they've got the right attitude. The, they're missing so many components of what good attitude is, so they're delusional. But then, of course, that then, be, that then becomes their crux because they're never going to exceed their, uh, uh, their, the right perspective, the right mindset if they think their attitudes are in order. But their attitudes are so far off from what they should be. That person I speak to them often, and so do you. They're de- just delusional. Yeah, just ask them two questions: Does the attitude you have align with your goals, and is it founded in truth? There you go, and you'll get the right answer or you get the delusional answer, and it'll tell you which what kind of uh, mindset, what kind of person is that we're dealing with here. And our last thirty seconds, I was very um, I was very impressed. I was very happy to see that you brought your son to the last sales conference we had in Dallas, uh, in Fort Worth, actually. I said to myself, there's a lesson that Chris is trying to teach his kids. What lessons are you and your wife teaching your young adults as you've been raising them and continue to raise them?
3: Uh, I can sum this up in one sentence. We refuse to teach our kids about rights and privileges. Mm. We train our kids about duty and obligation. Awesome, brother.
2: And you are doing a fantastic job. Your kids are a stellar kids. Your son looked like he's a, a sharp as a tack. Right. And he's like, he's a guy that's, that's going somewhere. So I appreciate fine, you bringing fine him. Fine young man, fine daughter. We we've been very fortunate. We've been fortunate to have you here on the show, Chris, and we're going to have you back. You're going to be actually hopefully part of our future tours as we put more programs out there to help people help the community and help thrivers thrive. So I appreciate you being on the show. That sounds exciting. I'd l- love to help. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break.
5: Does your company have a decision-making process that is repeatable, reliable, and consistent? Hello, my name is Gerard Ibarra. I'm a consultant, author, and speaker. I teach companies how to make better decisions. With my process, companies become more efficient, get buy-in from the stakeholders, keeps their emotions at bay, and make better decisions for the overall benefit of the company. Contact me today at gerardibara.com, Gerardibarra.com to learn more and receive a free 30-minute consultation. Are you struggling to find great
3: employees? Is it frustrating to find and keep top talent? Hi, my name is Glenn Richardson. I'm the founder and chief talent advisor of Rhodium Talent Advisors. We recognize that finding employees can feel like searching for a diamond in the rough, but we make hiring easy. Our four-step fit factor process is expertly designed to help you save time, save money, and hire better. Call us today at 972 515 for a free consultation and free hiring process review. Criminals are definitely crazy, but they're smart enough to always make sure no cops are around. You can call 911, but by the time the police arrive, criminals are done and gone. Every week, we read about another crazy person shooting random people until the police arrive. The Constitution gave you and me the solution to these problems 230 years ago. We are the United States Concealed Carry Association. Same, sane, responsible Americans.
5: USCCA.com If you're like most people, you're probably more than a little concerned about the state of the world around us today. Strange times. The stock market all-time highs every day. U.S. debt never been higher right now. Dollars losing value. And let's not forget about inflation, the highest since 2008. Remember what happened in 2008. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, many people just like you are turning to Old Faithful to protect themselves during these difficult times. And Old Faithful is real gold and silver from the Oxford Gold Group, the kind you can actually hold in your hands and have in your IRA. No better time than the present to protect your future and the future of your family. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now, 833-928-GOLD. They will send you their free guide on investing in gold and silver and answer all of your questions. Protect your money before things get even worse out there. Call the Oxford Gold Group today at 833-928-GOLD. Oxford is here to help you protect your savings and retirement. That's 833-928-GOLD.
2: Welcome back to Thrive Welcome back, everyone, to the J Made Talk Show, my first author spotlight. And by the way, I love having authors on the show because it gives us an opportunity to hear the thoughts of those that have taken the time to put it on paper, and we it gives us really the insight into the wisdom that someone else can share immediately. So I appreciate authors that take the time to pen their thoughts. So I'm a 10-time author. I know it's not an easy task. That's why we have the author spotlight. And we have author spotlights that bring different topics to the table that help us thrive. And today is no different. We're going to talk about how do we thrive in our finances as it pertains to understanding this 401k that many people participate in. And we've got an expert on the line and the author uh, of the book, The 401k Revival. I love that. Experience the Freedom of Stop Loss Protection. Michael Watkins is on the line with us today. Michael, welcome to the show.
0: Hey Jay, thanks a lot.
2: Michael, can you tell us before we dive into your book a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born in Richmond, Virginia. I grew up in a single parent household uh, with my mom, and you know she encouraged me from the beginning to work hard and and be responsible. And I took it really seriously, so I got lucky early on and scored a paper route, and started delivering papers. And I think that's really where I got my entrepreneurial bug Um, and then not do other things like raking leaves and shoveling snow for money. But I wanted to point out that I paid cash for my first car, which I was so proud of, and that was from learning the value of saving at an early age. So I guess if we fast forward a bit, uh, I changed my major a few times in college, Mm. a little confused there, uh, felt frustrated. Um, But then I got the opportunity to move to Florida, and I've been a serial entrepreneur here in the state of Florida ever since. And, you know, I just love serving people and uh, problem solving as well. And I think that's important for, you know, entrepreneurs.
2: So your love people. You love solving problems. You could have done that in any industry, especially if you're a serial entrepreneur. Why did you feel that pursuing a career and helping solve problems and, and being able to provide this, this encouragement and support and information and education in the 401k, why did you decide to go there as your calling?
0: Well, it, it was intuitive. And, and I guess I could sum that up. Jay, with a quote from the late, great Jim Rohn, you don't know what you don't know, and sometimes what you think you know really isn't so. So most people have no idea what to do before, during, or even after a stock market crash, and they just stand by and watch it happen, right? Mm -hmm. And they're helpless and only because they're uninformed. And so my goal is to help folks harness the tools that they have at their disposal So that they can be more successful with saving more for their retirements. Now, you know, we all know when the right knowledge is properly applied, it can be a powerful life changing force. And this is an area that I viewed as uh, it was way underserved.
2: Well, that's a a good reason to get involved in doing anything. When you feel that those that you're going to serve are underserved, it shows that your heart's in the right place. And we appreciate that about you. And I'm sure your clients and those that you speak and and not only that, the readers of your book appreciate that about you. But today the fact is, uh, Michael, there's no shortage of means for people to become what I call informed investors. But in your opinion, why is it that so many people today still wander aimlessly when it comes to planning for their retirement let alone utilizing their 401k plans
0: yeah you're you're spot on there many people are wandering aimlessly and jay i believe it's really too much information that's become the problem um, <clears throat> you know folks have almost become paralyzed because of you know all the conflicting information that's circling around out there and here's you know, a great example. If you're to ask ten different financial advisors the same question, the chances are you'll get ten different answers, and those answers will most likely be based on the companies and products or or even services that they sell. And it's almost like the financial services industry has formed a circular firing squad at each other. So, I believe that it's too many choices and too much uh, conflicting information that has folks second-guessing their decisions, so they simply freeze, and they, they just don't do anything. They don't move forward.
2: You know, I couldn't agree with you more. The information is conflicting, and I think people, when they are sort of uncertain about things, they don't take action. And when they do take action, when there is a lack of clarity, disaster is usually the end game there. But with uncertain times ahead, my question is, why is it so critical now more than ever for 401k... Uh, business owners who provide that to their employees, but also the 401k participants. Why is it so important for them to stay vigilant with their retirement savings?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, there's nervousness nervousness all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, there's the ever-present danger of terrorist attacks, wars breaking out. Um, Just yesterday, the FBI said that there was a 30% increase in homicides in 2020, um, you know, you think back on COVID nineteen, that's left all of us weary and fearful, and businesses all over the place are struggling. Um, you look at our national debt, that's reached an astonishing thirty trillion dollars and you know, consumer prices are surging upward along with gas prices. And here's a big one. America's unfunded liabilities are at a staggering one hundred and fifty-seven trillion dollars, and so that's a lot of promises that have to be accounted for. So, my question is, could something trigger another stock market crash? Anything? And by the way, could I quickly explain to the listeners how much a trillion dollars is?
2: Mm. Excellent points. Excellent points, Michael. Yeah. I want to talk now, if we okay. could, about your book. I, I I know that you've wrote a book. But before we dive into the book, I, I'm obviously, I think I know the answer, but I want our listeners to, to know what compelled you? What, what inspired you to take time out of your schedule to write a book and this book?
0: Yeah, well, professionally, I help people map out their retirement dreams on paper. Mm-hmm. And way too often, I see a reoccurring theme. That their account balances were unable to support those retirement dreams Mm -hmm. and in almost every case Jay we can trace it back to the 2000 and 2008 market crashes where these people lost half or even more of their account balances but it wasn't losing the money itself that was the big issue Jay the biggest issue was the 12 long years it took to recover that's right really hurt hurt them the most Mm -hmm. and that's in the industry that's turned lost opportunity costs And I'll say that again, lost opportunity costs. So imagine being robbed of your ability to compound your savings over a decade. That's, uh, you know, over a quarter of a 40-year working career. So going back to why I wrote the book, uh, I want to help hardworking Americans sidestep this type of disaster from happening to them. And I believe the sooner they get prepared, the better.
2: So in our last minute here, I'm going to ask you two questions. What are the biggest mistakes you see that four hundred and one k investors they're making today? And can you give us a quick a quick peek inside look at the book without giving away the farm?
0: Okay, so uh, really there there are quite a few mistakes that people are, uh, are making, Jay. But let's not forget it's really not their fault. Uh, I would say number one, uh, the biggest one of the biggest mistakes would be leaving their four hundred and one k accounts. Uh, left behind at previous employers. They're Mm -hmm. exposed to high fees and market risk. And the other one would be that they don't have any type of external uh, warning system on their 401k plan. And we all know technology has advanced rapidly over the last 10 years. And so there are tools available that people, uh, you know, really don't know about. And about the book, um, yeah, so it, it's a Bible of sorts for people, and I really want them to use it as a reference. But, um, uh, you know, there are things inside the book that I explain um, uh, on future tax implications, uh, a dreadful rule that was passed by Congress in 2015 that's going to increase your Medicare uh, cost. Um, I also have an interview with Vance Howard, the modern-day trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Uh, of active 401k management and his insight is amazing and a must read for all 401k account holders. So as far as I know, Vance has never been interviewed for a book. So yeah, there's, there's a lot in the book and I feel blessed to be able to start this national crusade to help everyday Americans save for their retirements.
2: Well, the book is called The 401k Revival, Experience the Freedom of Stop-Loss Protection. It's written by our guest, Michael Watkins. Michael, we appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Thanks for being on the show. You bet. Thanks a lot, Jay. Folks, we'll be right back after the break. If your business is struggling with time-consuming payroll processing, employee handbooks that are outdated, and overall employee relations issues, let Excellian Business and HR Solutions help you by becoming your HR outsourcing business partner. Excellion Business and HR Solutions offers over 30 years of HR experience in the public and private sector. We're your one-stop shop HR business partner. We're a certified minority woman-owned business enterprise. Find us at Excellion.com,
1: You probably only think about insurance when you need it, but at Higginbotham, we have insurance specialists thinking about your risks and how to cover them year round. We start with listening and end with a custom solution that fits your needs and budget. Whether it's for your home, car, health, business, or employees, Higginbotham has you covered. Higginbotham is a place that leads with values, so your value leads.
3: The NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series is headed back to the Texas Motorplex for the countdown to the championship. Join us for a week-long Stampede of Speed Texas-style celebration at the Texas NHRA Fall Nationals October 2nd through 10th in Ennis. Feel the power of 11,000 horsepower and over 300 miles per hour side-by-side nitro action. It's campus drag racing entertainment with concerts, fireworks, barbecue, camping, and non-stop fun for the entire family. Go to stampedeofspeed.com for details
5: and to purchase tickets.
2: Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the line right now, we've got our second author spotlight. I mentioned earlier that understanding our characteristics and how we identify ourselves is so critical in thriving from a different perspective. So I couldn't think of a better person to have as one of our author spotlights who speaks on that topic, especially he's the since he's the author of the book Biological Essentialism. And that's a great topic. It's a great book. And I couldn't think of uh, someone to really tackle that issue than the author himself, Jay Hall. Jay, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Jay,
2: before we dive into your book and and what the book is about, I'd like to learn a little bit more, and I'm sure our listeners would like to learn a little bit more about your journey.
1: Why, sure. Uh, A little bit about my parents. Uh, My mom, uh, she's very much a book reader, inspired my academic uh, progress and even today even though she's older uh, she just uses a flip phone but she reads the newspaper every day keeps up with current events and a great inspiration for me and in terms of her uh, technology and that that's important this is like after world war ii and maybe the 50s some uh, classified stuff uh, she could type on a manual typewriter 100 words a minute so to try to strive to do your best and my father he was a world war ii vet went through the depression uh, went to california to find better work the whole nine yards but he was a very, very hard worker. He was a uh, commercial painter, and he uh, painted, along with uh, 50 other guys, uh, the Oklahoma Fairgrounds.
2: Unbelievable. Wow, that's quite a, those are quite the established and experienced parents you have there. Uh, but I also understand you are a professor.
1: That's right. Uh, I've taught uh, at the community college level, uh, some at uh, Tarrant College, and also here in Texas at a couple of different colleges— and math all the way from college algebra to calculus, and uh, just striving to to think and uh, encourage uh, students to love math, and the beauty of it and how it's practical. Of course, you know, no engineering can happen without uh, some mathematics. And my other background is actuarial and insurance and uh, consulting along those lines. So primarily uh, math and uh, insurance related. But I started off actually as a geology major, so I have a keen interest in, uh, you know, gaining resources, whether it's gold or oil.
2: You know, now, so, so this is what's amazing, Jay. Here you are, you have a uh, interest and a background in geology. You're a, a math professor. You also are an actuarian. And here you go write a book about biological essentialism. So I have to ask, <laughs> what inspired you to write that book coming from your background?
1: Well, I've always had an interest in, in origins and, you know, our humans special? Uh, you know, as they say, are we really stardust or, uh, you know, uh, meat uh, machines or, or do we have a purpose here? So I think origins kind of gives us the basis for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, are we really image bearers? What's what's the real truth? So one of my professors was uh, David Kitts. He uh, taught not only the geology department, but also the philosophy department and wound up with his major emphasis in the history of science, uh, subjects that I'm very all interested in. And besides those backgrounds, I was a uh, journalist for a year and had the privilege to interview Maya Angelou, which was really super. And I went to one of her performances. And so I actually interviewed uh, my professor, Kitts, and he was actually the head of the the big science uh, museum there in Norman. And uh, he talked about Aristotle's biology. And basically, you know, fish make more fish, uh, sharks make more sharks. And uh, that concept is basically biological essentialism. So if you studied Aristotle, and he wrote scientific papers, not just like pie-in-the-sky philosophy stuff, that really is what biological essentialism is.
2: But what what, cur- what I'm curious about, and we're going to dive into that, but at, at what point did you say, okay, I'm going to dive into this book? Uh, what were the driving forces to, for, for you to carve out the time from what you were doing as a professor to carve out, uh, rather, to write this book?
1: Well, I, I, uh, I have a son. He's, he's full-grown, so I do have some time. And uh I've I've thought about this a lot and basically uh to put it out there in the open, because depending on how what search engine you use, you're gonna get different answers, but the historical traditional academic sense of biological essentialism doesn't get a lot of attention unless you happen to be in the philosophy category or the philosophy of biology category. So I wanted to get it more attention that the the in a sense, you know, from my perspective, the true meaning of the term that it goes uh against uh what is often taught in schools that you know we're we're not much more than a pond scum you know and then just developed over millions of years.
2: Well, I I appreciate you writing the book because I do agree with you and you and I've had a chance to chat already about your book and that's the reason why you're on the show. But let's backtrack a little bit here. Our listeners are we're probably asking themselves what exactly let alone biological essentialism, but what exactly is essentialism? So can you take a, a minute to explain to our listeners what essentialism and the philosophy of uh, essentialism is
1: sure well uh you may be in your office right now you have your desk you have your chair uh you may have a lamp so you can see and so uh there's something essential about a lamp uh, again it's rated with so many lumens or whatever but if it doesn't provide any light it's not a lamp well you may be writing things or working on your computer or laptop if, if your desk doesn't uh help uh Facilitate that, it's, it's not really, really a desk. And you can have a desk without a back. You'd normally call it a stool, but there's certain things that are essential to those things. Now, there's a popular book out that's done really well, and it's, it's essentialism, it is, but it's on a different sense. The way I understand it, because I haven't read the book yet, is basically uh, simplifying your life, organizing your life, and so you can be more productive. That's one aspect of it. But the traditional historical aspect is there's something essential about people that would be different, say, than the, what's essential about a worm.
2: Excellent. So knowing and identifying what your characteristics and traits are could be an indica- could be or should be, rather, an indication as to what your purpose is. I speak often about that, and that's important. But let's now infuse biological in the equation, biological essentialism. Infusing it in the philosophy of essentialism, how does that change uh, the whole diagram, the, the whole picture behind it?
1: Well, just like we have words in the dictionary, and you can go back to the Oxford English Dictionary to give you a word and some examples, and that goes back to Samuel Johnson, who did Mm -hmm. one of the first ones like that. But the idea, even a three-year-old can understand the difference between an armadillo and a porcupine. So it's not necessary to have a science background to get the basic idea of this, or uh, to have an interest in philosophy necessarily. So what does your
2: book aim to do for the reader?
1: Well, uh, to, to broaden their sense of the wonder of the world we live in mm-hmm. and really, uh, interesting things, uh, like say how, uh, you know, uh, uh, like in the lion king, you know, it's a meerkat helps, uh, uh, Pumbaa and, and, and mostly what we tend to think of is that it's, uh, actually, uh, uh, mongoose helps, helps the, uh, helps the, uh, warthogs and, uh, one, uh, picks off like the ants and whatnot and, and, uh, and then they get protection from the warthog. Who's going to mess with the warthog? Mm-hmm. So in terms of cooperation, like from Sesame Street, you know, we all should get together. If you have a family size of, say, like five, you know, brothers and sisters, siblings, uh, you want to get together, help each other. Maybe one washes the dishes, maybe one dries the dishes or whatever your chores might be. One person might take out the trash and the other person might uh, take it out to the dumpster. But in the animal world, things cooperate, which makes more sense that we're all part of this uh, community not that necessarily that, you know, uh, a frog turned into a prince over many, many years.
2: So in our last minute here, without giving away too many details, what is the central central theme of the book, and why would it benefit someone to read it?
1: Well, part of it actually relates to the meaning of life, because it's saying it's argu- arguing against, that we're just a, a cosmic accident. And the other is saying appreciating the wonder of the different critters uh, that we see, uh, whether, whether it's a shark or, or for example, uh, it's not so well known that a uh, uh, mandarin orange and a pomelo, what I call the sweet grapefruit, and a citron, which is kind of like lemon, all those are kind of related because you can cross one with the other. Like the first person that came up with a plum cot, that was a brilliant idea that a lot of things can cross.
2: So in our last 30 seconds then, what can the reader expect to walk away with? Give me one distinct point that the reader can expect to walk away with after reading your book.
1: Well, I see if you think things as distinct and you see humans as special, all the different issues that you have to confront and your own uh, sense of uh, purpose are enhanced because the other view, the alternative to me, I think it can lead to depression and even worse. Mm. So we all have a purpose and we're all special.
2: Well, the book is called Biological Essentialism. Uh, I've started to read it. It's a fascinating book, and I'm glad, Jay Hall, that you have taken the time to write it. I know they'll benefit many, many readers along the way. Your book is going to be up at our website, the JayMamieTalkShow.com. Appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Folks, that wraps up our show. We appreciate you being a part of it. Next week, we're coming right back at you at 10 a.m. for your next hour of Thrive Time.